All the talk right now is about deferrals, contract deferrals, specifically linked to Shohei Otani. But the question is, from a Marlins perspective, is Peter Bendix deferring roster moves to 2024? Is the roster effectively done at this point? Are we ready to rock and roll? Are we out of money? Are we out of ideas? Tons to get into. This is Locked on Marlins. You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England and welcome to Locked On Marlins. It's your daily Marlins podcast. I am your host, Peter Pratt. Hit me up, of course, on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Miami Marlins underscore UK. If you are listening to the pod, firstly, hello, greetings, and welcome to Wednesday's episode. Um, thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listen of the day. This is your team every day, even in the depths of December. Yes, sir, we are still talking Marlins baseball in December. And just as I was about to hit record, an article dropped via the Herald. Our man, Craig Mish, Barry Jackson involved in that one. So that's added a little bit of extra spice, if you can call it that, that we'll cover on today's show. There is a YouTube channel as well, guys. Don't forget that. Make sure you hit subscribe over there, too. If you are watching, you will see, firstly, me. Secondly, the rundown. And... Uh, like I've already mentioned, there's maybe an extra bit of conversation that we're going to talk about today. Uh, link to that article. And uh, yeah, a little bit of extra spice maybe to this episode. So we'll look forward to doing that one, guys. Let's start with deferrals because it is the word of the week. The funny thing is me and Sean, we spent, uh, yeah, we probably spent an hour and a half together recording a couple of episodes on Monday into Tuesday. <laughs> And just as we ended that recording, of course, the usual situation, the news drops, the news drops specifically around Shohei Otani and the contract structure that he has committed to with the LA Dodgers. And boy, oh boy, what a wild one. There's all sorts of reactions. My reaction initially, I have to say, was just, I was stunned. I was stunned by it, to be honest with you, considering that Shohei Otani is going to earn from a, a base salary perspective anyway, $2 million for the next 10 years via the Dodgers. And then the rest of it, the $680 million, will then become due over the next 10 after that. One of the wildest contracts, maybe ever. I don't know if this will be repeated, to be honest with you, but the initial reaction was really funny because uh, firstly, my reaction was, well, if the Marlins would have gone to $3 million per annum, then they, they would have had a chance, <laughs> which, of course, was a nonsense. But the reaction across the league was pretty funny. There's a lot of like different views coming from a, the Dodgers are cheating. Uh, they aren't cheating. This, this uh, contract structure and deferrals, is, this isn't a loophole situation. This is a known situation. Just a lot of times... This isn't an opportunity, maybe that teams or the players specifically want to consider. So, but there was a lot of people going, This is just crazy. The Dodgers are cheating. They've just effectively added the best player in baseball to their roster and they're paying him less 
then potentially the Marlins will be paying Christian Bethencourt in 2024, which is kind of wild. But I love what Shohei Otani is doing there in that this structure, firstly, this structure is feasible from his perspective because who he is and what he also makes off the field in terms of endorsements, et cetera, et cetera. So we have to call that out. Not every player has that opportunity. And often they don't. And thus they decide to just take a more regular the contract structure. Shohei Otani is different in many ways, but very different commercially. And uh, that mean, that means that he can certainly do this type of creative contract structure that means um, he won't impact as greatly the Dodgers and what they can, the talent they can surround him. He's already seen it firsthand. If, if you, all you do is have Shohei Otani and Mike Trout and then not much else, doesn't often lead to success in baseball. And it's kind of like the Tom Brady situation in many ways. Like that's the most obvious one <laughs> that I turn to anyway. And think about how Tom Brady um, had creative contracts, low payment, low cap hit, that meant that the team, the Patriots, could invest their money elsewhere to surround Brady with talent. He wanted to win. Shohei Otani, the, the, the signal here is, He wants to win. He's going to L.A., staying in L.A. in some ways. That's the way you think of it. I mean, Anaheim, I don't know. Anyway, he's going to the Dodgers to win. I think he's always wanted to go to the Dodgers, and I think it was probably expected that he was always going to the Dodgers. And the rest of the palaver was literally that. Palaver. It was showmanship. It was just journalists really not making themselves look good, but... I think this was always nailed on Otani was going here. But the the approach is pretty funny and the reaction is pretty funny. The Dodgers are cheating. Why couldn't have our club done that? Et cetera, et cetera. Loads of things. And the funny thing is, is any club could have done this. And likely any club that actually deeply engaged with Shohei Otani would have had this opportunity, I think, presented to them. I feel like it's the type of thing that Otani would have called out or his agent would have called out that I'm, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do it because of the amount of money I earn away from this specific contract. That means I can live the life I want to live through my thirties, enjoy my life, live it to its, you know, to its fullest. But then you know, you've got a nest egg coming effectively as you retire. So smart move, smart move from the Dodgers, smart move from Otani. I absolutely love the creativity is the type of deal that like a David Samson would have kind of been thinking about with his kind of commercial finance background. Like he would have been thinking of this. And there's all of a sudden a lot of accountants on Twitter, by the way. Like all of us, I've never seen so many uh, Twitter accountants, people considering and talking through the mechanics of the accounting practices that are being employed here and trying to find out and work out on the, on the methodology how a major league baseball just attributing a 46 million CBT hit here rather than a 70 million. And yeah, like I mentioned, there's been a lot of people on Twitter trying to work that out and it all comes down to inflation and I don't know, asset management. I don't know, various things going on, but fundamentally Shohei Otani is owed 700 million. He will be paid 700 million, but because of how far into the future he's being paid the majority of that, it's effectively being reversed to 
reflect inflation that has yet to happen. And so they're basing inflation into that number. And so in real terms, if that's how we think about it, from an accounting perspective, this is less than $500 million in, in, in that sense, because $680 million in 10 plus years, 10 to, 10 to 20 years, won't be worth the same that it is now because of inflation. Are you still following me? Do you really care? I'm not sure that anyone really cares about that. Fundamentally, Shohei Otani has signed the biggest ever contract in baseball, and it is the most creative contract in baseball. And it's designed to help the Dodgers win. They are going to be... I mean, the funny thing is now is like, you know, everyone's going to be rooting against the Dodgers heavily because of this creative contract situation. And I feel like it's going to be really interesting to watch like how how fans, Major League Baseball, other teams, etc., see Otani now because he's been like the cleanest of clean guys, the you know, whiter than white. You know, no stigma, no nothing, no scandal associated with Shohei Otani. All of a sudden now, you've got this like kind of funky contract and a big number attributed to it. And people feeling that this is a form and a degree of cheating, some sort of financial manipulation that allows the Dodgers to be cheating the system. So all of a sudden, Otani and what he's done will forever be connected to the word deferrals, forever be connected to that. So, And that's, is it going to ruin his legacy? Don't know. I don't know, to be honest with you. But I, from my perspective, because I love the drama, you know that, guys. You listen to this pod, you know. And as someone that podcasts pretty much daily about the Marlins, I need the drama. I need it. I live and breathe off the drama, guys. And unfortunately, after the first ad, we're going to talk about Peter Bendix. I'm going to talk about is Peter Bendix just deferring on this roster? That is not the drama I'm looking for. <laughs> Peter Bendix is not delivering the drama that I am looking for just yet. But I'm starting to wonder, like, how complete is this roster already? Considering, like, the couple of minor moves they've made. So we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about Randy Rosarena. Um, because there's an obvious connection. We're starting to get a sense that, you know, the Rays are looking to move some guys. Rosa Reina's name kind of popped up. I think kind of falsely. I'm not convinced that that was reported accurately. He posted a picture of himself and Otani. Timing's interesting. So we'll talk about that. Plus, an old friend of mine, a favorite of mine, Rowdy Telez. We're going to talk about him, who signed with the Pirates. I think he could have been a real nice addition for the Marlins. But before we do that, this episode is brought to you by our good friends, of course, over at FanDuel, and you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. I hope you didn't have your five bucks on the Dolphins. Me and Sean hyping them boys up against the Titans. The Titans curse kicks in again. The Dolphins can't get it done. Boy, oh boy, what's the Dolphins doing? Anyway, that's $150 if your team wins. For any Titans fans listening in that had five bucks down, there's 150 bucks for you, baby. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use and has a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 
All right, guys, you're back here with me, Peter Pratt. On Wednesday, the 13th of December, this is Locked On Marlins, and thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listen. This is your team every day, of course, guys, even in December. And the word of the day is deferrals, or deferred money. That's two words. Nevertheless, I want to talk about the Marlins roster. I want to talk about Peter Bendix. I want to talk about whether this roster and his activities, whether he's deferring his activities for the future. And let me just call something out here. This wasn't in the rundown, but I read the article before we hit it. And so I think it's interesting to call it out. Barry Jackson, Craig Mish, the usual collabo for the Herald. If you aren't subscribing, subscribe to the Herald. They always have you covered. But what I would say, having just read the article pre-recording here, is it is the most underwhelming article in terms of Marlin's activity that I think I've ever seen, ever. They're talking about backup catchers. They're talking about middle infielders that can't hit. They're talking about rotation options and the short leash maybe that one or two of the guys are on. It is the most underwhelming and lukewarm or tepid stove. It is the tepid stove. There is no juice. There is no fire. Is that because, is that because Barry Jackson, Craig Mish, they've not yet had time to maybe, you know, create that relationship with Peter Bendix. Are they reporting blind at this point? Are they lacking information? Gut feel on that is no. No. Gut feel is, with this roster and with the Marlins, that I think they're in, I, I, I do think there's a serious possibility they're in deferral mode too. A couple of little moves here and there. We've already seen a few, a couple of X-rays added to the organization. Cheap guys can do a job, fit a specific need, a specific purpose. We spoke about it with Bethancourt the other day. You know, he's there as a specialist catcher that can throw out runners. And that's about it. They can maybe chip in with 10 home runs. Like, that's kind of it. But that was a massive deficiency for the Marlins. So. I'm all for that. They went and get Bruhan, former huge prospect, huge name, no minor league options, and frankly, no major league production. He's having a decent winter league stint, though, actually, to be fair, walking a ton. So there's something there in Bruhan. There should be something there, and probably changing organization will be useful. But when we look at like the roster and the way it's shaping up right now, and Eli... Sussman shared, I think, this earlier on today, just share, sharing, like, this is what the roster looks like now. And frankly, when I looked at that, my sense was that, like, this is going to look pretty close to opening day, to be honest with you. You know, when we consider what else are they going to add, what else are they going to trade away, I'm not sure. I th- it feels to me, like, and the article with the Herald called it out, that after arbitration, the Marlins are going to be circa 95 to 100 million in terms of payroll. That's kind of the range that they're going to be in. Bruce Shermer will then come out and say, as he did last year, if we are in it, we will spend. And he did. And they did spend. They added payroll and they added payroll in the right ways. So to me, I'm getting the sense that this is a similar situation where maybe the Marlins are going to defer some of their decisions and see how this season starts. See if they're in it. If they are in it, then we will spend. 
And then maybe some guys they can add along the way. That's just the read I'm getting here is like they have no money to spend. They're kind of struggling in terms of prospects to move. There's a need to rebuild the farm. But the question is at this point, do you really want to take away from the major league roster to rebuild the farm? (laughs) I'm not sure. I feel like from a farm building perspective, it's more about, can you just draft more effectively? You know, that's at the heart of the farm. Draft better, sign better free international free agents. Just be more effective in that space. That's how you that's how you build your farm properly. It's not about always trading away your studs. Granted, some of the guys are getting more expensive, and thus some decisions have to be made. I've spoke about a few of the guys this offseason, spoke about Sandy, spoke about maybe well, maybe I haven't spoken about Luis Arise. And we should be speaking about Luis Arise. I've seen someone on Twitter talking about Luis Arise. I think he was a Padres fan. And the funny thing is with Lewis Arise, let me just call this out. Again, this is unscripted, so we're just going to briefly touch on this. I feel like I'm going to do an episode on, on Lewis Arise. He's won the batting title two years in a row in either league. He's unbelievable as a straight-up pure hitter. The problem for the Marlins and Lewis Arise is, A, he's expensive, and he only has two years of control now remaining. And the other thing is, he pretty much only plays second base. I know we can, like, anyone can play first base, kind of. And, and Luis Arias, like, went to first base a little bit. He's not amazing at first base. Like, I, I remember seeing a couple of misplayed balls by him at first. Like, he's not a first baseman. He's adequate at second base, clearly. But the problem the Marlins have with Luis Arias and that defensive situation is their roster contains about 97 second basemen. The question then around Luis Arias is, could you move him? Who would be interested in him, I think, is another interesting part. Like, what's Luis Arias's trademark? Like, who would be actually really interested in Luis Arias and give up a ton? I don't know the answer to that, by the way. Let me know what you think on that, because whilst batting champs are valuable, and I'm not denying Luis Arias's value to the Marlins, I do wonder if they look to move him, like what his market would actually look like, like who would be seeking that type of guy? I don't know how broad that market would be, but I do wonder, could you could you plug a gap elsewhere? Could you go and get a, an absolute stud shortstop instead? Could you flex Arias to get a shortstop, a position of drastic need, and try to get a guy that is like a stud, a stud shortstop? that maybe has an element of risk baked into him, but a few more years of control, maybe. Could you do that? Frankly, the Marlins need to do that somehow. They need to solve this shortstop riddle, potentially, in some ways. I'm not sure the catching riddle is going to be solved. I do wonder what the future holds for the corner outfield spots, too. Both Brian De La Cruz and Jesus Sanchez, both of them have had ups. They've had up downs. I'm wondering if the Marlins do look to upgrade there. Like Again, Avicel Garcia is another, you know, Again, we won't segue into that too much. And speaking about corner outfielders, let's just briefly touch on Randy Orozarena. I'm really interested about this. Um, I'm interested about the player generally. Fundamentally, Orozarena is a an above-average corner outfielder. He doesn't have the level of power output that maybe you would hope for. It's not like Carl Schwarber or someone in that kind of range. But effectively, Orozarena is a... 20 home run, pretty much a bang on 20 home run a year guy, uh, a 270 to 280 hitter, <laughs> you know, 
an OPS plus guy of like 120 consistently. And actually, when you look at his career, he's got a career 126 OPS plus. He's got a career 11 and a half war pretty much. Last season, three and a half war. Like, Arosa Reina, he, he basically does it all. And he's got three years of control remaining. Three years of control that are going to keep getting more and more expensive. Projected around about $7 million this year. So by the final arbitration year, you know, it's going to be a sizable number. I absolutely love the fit of Randy Rosarena with the Marlins. Um, I'm not sure what the Marlins have, frankly, that could go and acquire Rosarena from the Rays at this point. But considering every single move that Peter Bendix has made thus far has links to the Rays, if a Rosarena is available, and trust me, the Marlins have a need in the corner outfield, no doubt about it. No doubt. The De La Cruz is replaceable. Jesus Sanchez is replaceable. Avicel Garcia is replaceable. And there ain't a ton else coming through in terms of AAA, etc. Dane Myers may be given an opportunity. Rosarena is an absolute no-brainer. When I spoke about opportunities for shortstop, and I'm thinking about, you know, do you go and get a Boba Shet or do you go and get an Anthony Volpe? This is where you do a deal where this becomes, with the Rosarena, it is a zero-risk trade if indeed they have to move something. And let's just say the Marlins go away and they move Edward Cabrera for Randy Rosarena. It's probably unlikely because we get the sense that Edward Cabrera's value doesn't seem to be that high generally. But let's just assume that were to be the case. For me, in that situation, the Rays would be taking on the risk rather than the Marlins because Rosarena is a zero-risk guy. You know what you're getting with Rosarena, both on the field and off the field. And frankly, it's a great fit. Great fit. <laughs> Will he be moved? I'm not sure the Rays need to move him this year. Frankly, as you get into next year, maybe. But a Rosarena, perfect fit. You know, people are making connections with the Rosarena and Otani. That picture he's posted on Instagram, what does it mean? Does it mean anything? Probably not. It's just showing that, you know, they had a nice picture together in the WBC. Great. Does it mean, does it mean that a Rosarena wants to play for the Dodgers? I don't think so. I don't think so, frankly. And... Frankly, the Rays have been far more successful than the Dodgers in the past couple of years anyway. So we'll wait to see on that one. Um, looks like the Rays are moving. Tyler Glass now looks like he's moving. Um, Manny Margot, I think, is another name I've, I think I've seen linked to being moved as well. So the Rays, as always, they're shuffling around. They're doing things. I'm not convinced that I see a pathway to a Rosa Reina being traded. But if they do, the Marlins absolutely should be in it. It is a zero-risk move. And he fits perfectly for what the Marlins are looking for. And they're looking for high upside, high floor, impact major league outfielders for certain. One final one, Rowdy Telez signed with the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, yesterday. You know, yesterday evening, last night, um, depending on your time zone. Rowdy Telez was a guy that I had my eyes on, to be honest with you, because I could see the fit there. He had a bit of a down year last year. It's fine. But Rowdy Telez historically, like when you look at him and you think, okay, firstly, when I look at Telez, he has the most prototypical first base body. And I've got no problem with that. I like my beefcakes. I like beefcake first baseman. And Telez absolutely fits that profile. 
Lefty stick, proven power. He's not amazing at first base, doesn't matter. But I was looking at and thinking, with Raul Telez, could you effectively go and get him three million circa? And that could, if he returns back to what he was historically, I know it was a down year last year, but there's almost a Jorge Soler replacement with Rowdy Telez at a fraction of the cost. Okay, I know it feels like a bit of a leap, but I could certainly see that. I could absolutely see it. And so I know a lot of people are probably not thinking about Rowdy Telez and what value um, he would have had for the Marlins. And no one, I've not heard anyone speak about Rowdy Telez at all. <coughs> and, you know, that's fine. But there's been seasons where, you know, he is... He's demonstrated he has a lot of ability. And for the Marlins, for someone that's like relatively low cost, um, that can, you know, that has the power, you know, you go back to 2022, he hit 35 home runs for the Brewers. 35. In 2019 with the Blue Jays, prior to the COVID year, he, in a three quarters of a season, give or take, 21 home runs. The power is there. Power is absolutely there. And the power is going to Pittsburgh. So I just wanted to call it out that I think it could have been a nice fit, both in terms of power output, body type, because I love those beefcakes, and also the cost. It's a bit worrying that the Marlins weren't able to go and get a deal done for Rowdy Telez at circa $3 million. In what they do have a, a position of need there. They do need someone at first base. They've already indicated they don't really think Troy Johnston can do it. And frankly, the rest of the league has indicated that they don't think Troy Johnston could do it. So in my opinion, the Marlins are going to be bringing in a free agent, a vet free agent to play first base, split time with Josh Bell in some sort of way. Rowdy Telez would have been the perfect buy. Was he, was he too expensive? Was he too expensive at three or three and a half or four million? That's the question. And if the answer is yes, boy, oh boy, the Marlins are banging trouble in terms of free agents at this point. And thus, we go back to the question we started with. Is Peter Bendix just simply deferring payroll-related discussions and decisions until later in the year? Is Bruce Sherman saying, we cannot spend anymore until we know we're in it? If we know we're in it and we are in it, I will spend. We'll wait to see. That's been Locked on Marlins for Wednesday, the 13th of December. Thanks for joining me, guys. I look forward to seeing you guys tomorrow uh, as we continue this off-season rundown. Uh, I do want to talk about Luis Arias at some point. We'll wait to see. I'll see you soon.